Football, <laughs> baseball, <laughs> basketball, anything sports. Auburn's 91.1 FM WEGL presents the scoreboard with your co-hosts, Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Your calls are welcomed at 334-844-9345 or follow them on Twitter at Jacob underscore Hillman 3 or at Bay underscore Marks. Now, let's take a look at the scoreboard with Bay and Jacob. And welcome into the school board here on WGL 91.1 FM. Or if you're streaming on WeagleFM.com, we welcome you back to the show. Bay Marks, as always, sitting alongside Jacob Hillman. Jacob, how are you today? I'm doing well. Uh, U.S. Open starting, so watching some golf all day long. Wingfoot Golf Club. Supposed to play tough, but I mean, Justin Thomas shot minus five today. Of course, Tiger Woods finished off week with a bogey and a double bogey on 17 and 18. So... We'll see what the rest of the week holds at the U.S. Open. Yeah, I know you're excited for that golf today as you are the golf junkie of the show, but we do have big news. We have a lot of stuff to come at everybody with today. We have on the docket, we have Big Ten football is returning officially. We do have the NBA Western and Eastern Conference Finals matchup set with one game having already played, as well as NFL Week 1 has already wrapped up with some Thursday night football tonight. So a lot on the show today, and we'll get right into it. Like I had mentioned, Big Ten football is officially back. Um, they are ready to join the playoff party, so the chaos is beginning according to the front page of ESPN. Now, this is huge for the college football world. Uh, you have a major national title contender in Ohio State there, and you also have great programs that have been great in the recent years that have made a push for the national title as well, like Penn State, Wisconsin, and even at some points, Michigan. So uh, first, I just want to ask you, Jacob, what do you think the impact of this is, and do we see they're only playing an eight-game schedule, so do we see this eight-game schedule impacting – any of these teams' chances to even make a college football playoff? I, I think it's possible if you run into a scenario of a 10-1 and uh, SEC champion versus a 9-0 because they're playing. It, it's a weird schedule. They say eight games, but it's plus one. In the ninth week, I think, I guess that'd be December 19th, I believe, they will be playing one versus one, just like the Big Ten Championship would be, and it'll be two versus two, three versus three, so on, so on. I believe Jim Harbaugh was the one that – really made that happen he he brought it up to the big 10 and they agreed that that was a pretty good decision that's it i mean that's something that'd be kind of cool to do every year in every conference but it's something that won't affect that top team because it'll be just like playing the big 10 championship so it's really it's really an eight game schedule and i think it could but if ohio state is nine and oh it doesn't matter. They're getting in the playoff, and they would deserve to because they're probably going to play a, a tougher schedule than, than say, like Notre Dame would play. So it, it's one of those things where it could play a factor, but I don't think it will. I think the Big Ten will get their playoff spot if a team does go undefeated and wins their conference. Yeah, and I think a big thing, too, also with um – especially being that Ohio State team trying to push in there. You also have a potential top three pick in Justin Fields, um, who's potentially going to be in his last collegiate uh, year this year. Um, as, as concluded, he's probably going to make millions of dollars next year being drafted one of the top three picks. So I think knowing that, especially with Ohio State, that this was going to be his last year there, I think it was important for him. He talked about how he wanted to play. He voiced his concerns about it. And I really do think that a one loss or an undefeated Big Ten team makes a – especially if it's Ohio State, makes a great case against um, a one or two loss ACC team or especially Notre Dame since they're just playing the ACC this year as well. Um, so I do think that that kind of mantra and that swagger that 
Ohio State carries with them and that standard that they've been playing with the past several years, especially with having won um, the first college football playoff and making the semifinals recently in recent years as well. I think that's a big reason why um, they'd probably get that nod over some other teams from other conferences. But this also leads to the next discussion question of, does the Pac-12 follow in all five power conferences play? Yeah, and it looks like California is for it. They, I think they've approved where UCLA, USC, Stanford, Cal, and all those teams in California are going to be able to practice because it was pro sports were allowed to happen because they weren't amateurs. But they, I mean, it's it's kind of it's kind of it looks bad on the Pac-12 because they're just following the Big Ten's footsteps. Whatever the Big Ten does, Pac-12 is going to do. So it's interesting to see this now. Of course, Oregon and Washington, they've got some bigger things to deal with right now, their governments. They've got the wildfires going on. They're worried about their citizens and their safety, so they're really not concerned with football right now. But I think in the coming days, they they might be able to get to it and be able to say, all right, Washington, Washington State, Oregon, Oregon State, y'all can practice, and uh, we'll, we're going to play football in the fall. Now, of course, when it comes to a playoff, that that Pac-12 team is going to have to be undefeated, and they it might not matter because they're going only going to be able to play an eight-game schedule as well. Because I mean, I think the Big Ten is just eight week, or I should say nine weeks and nine games, and they're they're using a I guess a uh, set their daily testing, and if it's like above a five percent positivity rate, they will not be able to play. So that's going to get interesting because it's a very, it's a very tight window. It, it is, and I guess because it is daily testing, there's a lot of tests, so you don't. And I don't know how it's going to be. So, you know, when one guy tests positive and he tests positive the next day, does that count towards the percentage? Because I feel like it, it shouldn't because it's just one guy. So when they're t- testing all the athletes, because I assume this involves volleyball and soccer and other fall sports that the Big Ten has, that that positivity rate probably won't be that high because you're going to be doing thousand, at least a 1,000 tests. I, I, I'm trying to put the numbers together, and I really don't know how many tests a week that is, but it's a ton. So I see the Big Ten being able to get through the season, even yep. with those limitations. Even if they do get above a 5% positivity rate, a team has to quarantine for seven days. So it'll be interesting to see if any teams are affected. I mean, we're seeing more cancellations this week. I believe it was – it might have been Coastal Carolina had to cancel their game this weekend because their entire offensive line – it's yeah. gone. They don't have an offensive line. They're just, they're not going to play with that. I mean, it's Thursday, so to do that just two days in advance, so it doesn't matter how close it is. Teams will cancel games, but I'm really looking forward to see the Big Ten start back up because they play a good brand of football. It's fun to watch, and you know, you want it to be as normal of a season as possible. And it wasn't going to feel normal without the Big Ten and the Pac-12. So October 24th. Can't come here soon enough because then we're really going to have football. Yeah, they won't be starting on the 26th like the SEC. Now the Big 12 um, and the ACC started this past weekend. We mentioned it on the show last week. We were giving our um, games to watch on the show last week. But, yeah, they'll be starting one of the last weeks of October. SEC starts next Saturday. Um, Yeah, it's just like I was saying. I really think this is important because with a regular season, obviously nothing this year is normal, but – with a normal season this year, obviously Ohio State would be the number one or number two team in the nation. Um, well, funny you say that because they're going to be the first team ever to go from number two to unranked back to number two and back to back to back weeks right. because the AP took them out or the teams that weren't playing out this past week, and they're going to put them back in, obviously, next week. So. Right. 
Right. With point being that they, it's weird. With a normal season, they'd be kind of in uh, an assumption of they're going to make the playoff. I right. Mean, nobody's going to stop Ohio State this year. We saw how great they were last year. Um, we saw what a battle it was against Clemson in that semifinal. They took an early lead. Trevor Lawrence with his legs kind of rallied Clemson back. Clemson ended up, ended up winning a thriller. Um, now they do have some departures on the defensive side of the ball, um, especially with number two overall pick Chase Young um, and Jeff Okuda. But regardless, Ohio State would be locked and loaded, and they were definitely going to be one of the playoff spots this year. So um, and it'll be interesting to see if another team makes that push. Like Penn State, we've seen them making that push in recent years, even though last year they were up there. They lost to Minnesota, I believe. Yeah. That really kind of bumped them out. Um, Wisconsin, Wisconsin as well, obviously with the running game, the round, the uh, ground game, and then Michigan maybe. Um, but it's just, it's just going to be interesting to see that now we have more competition and there will be less of an asterisk by this year. Yeah, less of an asterisk, but there will be an asterisk. No, definitely still an asterisk. It, it, it's just going to be it's going to be weird with no non-conference games other than the ACC playing the, the one non-conference game, the Big 12 playing the one. But obviously the SEC will not be playing the non-conference game. The Big 10 and Pac-12 will not be able to whenever they come back. You know, we miss out on great games like Ohio State-Oregon this year. I mean, I would have loved to see it. I think it would have been Austin this year, but I could be wrong. It might have been next year, which would be better because I'd like to see Ohio State travel to a hostile environment like that. See how that. they pan out in a different different stadium. But, I mean, we're just looking at this, and it's starting to come back to normal. It's like we're figuring out ways to safely play football because, I mean, we, we've seen what – the SEC, and, you know, we obviously were down in Auburn. We've seen where there's been positive cases, there's been contact tracing, but we bounce back, and these students are fine. They're taken care of. Now, of course, you get into the whole discussion of, well, what about the long-term effects? Well, that that is something that you can worry about. But right now, we don't know. You can't really just shut down everything. So I like the way the conferences are going about this. I mean, I don't think the Big Ten did this perfectly, but – at least they got back on the right track because I think someone was like they put to like eleven step plan. It was just talking about put out a schedule, then you cancel your season, and then there's like seven other steps, and then play football. So it's it's one of those things where you didn't know anything, and I think that's why the SEC played it perfectly. Greg Sankey looks like a genius right now. Yeah, he he played it very conservatively and played it very well. He he kind of let things sit around for a while. Now, granted. Kudos to him as well because back in March when this started, he was also one of the first people to go ahead and cancel the SEC tournament. So he's acted in a very intelligent and concerned manner. Um, he has done a very good job, and I think, like you said, he looks very, um, very smart right now for the de- the decisions he made, and that's why he's in that position. Yeah, because he can make those kinds of decisions. I mean, I mean, like you said, he's been conservative, but he's been very, very. I mean, I guess it's proactive at the same. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say aggressive, but proactive is a better word to use. Because he's not just sitting around and letting things happen. He's we're waiting till September 26th because you want to find more stuff out and see kind of how things play out before you just jump into the season. I mean, the ACC has obviously done an okay job. They they haven't had as many cancellations as like the Big 12, but they started a little bit earlier, and SEC can learn from that. Now it's not like you want to use those conferences as just guinea pigs, but we learn more with the practices and kids going back to classes and everything that goes into that. So I think the SEC is in a good position as well as the Big Ten and Pac-12 if they do come back because they're also going to learn a lot. It's not like it's not like they are going crazy and coming back when you really shouldn't. So I think we're in for an exciting football season. 
I mean, so far we've had crazy games with Sun Belt teams beating Big 12 teams. Uh, ACC might start getting crazy, I think, this weekend. I'm about to say they have a big matchup here in a minute. Exactly. So we're starting to see some real football, and I'm excited for it. Yeah, and like you were mentioning, like the ACC's got some big matchups this weekend. And before we go to break, we need to talk on this one real quick because it's a top 25 matchup, which with a lot of teams not playing so far, they've got a lot of those. So this is a big matchup. Uh, number 17, Miami, going to travel to number 18, Louisville. Um, while Louisville does hold a 2.5 spread, they are the favorites. I would say Miami wins this game. Me too. I agree because Derek King, it looked great against UAB last he did. weekend. Now, they did start slow, and it was competitive, but I think they looked better than Louisville looked against Western Kentucky. Yeah, I agree. And I, th- I really think this Miami team is going to look great for several weeks and then might fall off towards the end of the season just because they're Miami and they're young, new quarterback, which, of course, Derek King is experienced. But you got new offensive coordinator, new new head coach. It's I think Miami's set up for success in the future this year. They're going to shoot flashes. Of and it. Rhett Lashley was pounding the ground game last week. Cameron Harris had 17 carries for 134 yards and two touchdowns, which sounds just like an Auburn offense as well as a touchdown splash in there by Derek King, who had 100 nearly 150 passing yards. So um, this will be a good game. It's a 6:30 kickoff on ABC Saturday the 19th. Um, I think we're both safely picking Miami for this one. This is obviously the biggest matchup this weekend in my eyes, um, just because I think it's going to be so competitive and so neck and neck. Um, But I think on the road, Miami pulls this one out. So uh, I think that'll be a fun matchup. I agree. Well, all right, on the other side of the break on the scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman, we're going to get into the NBA playoffs. The Western Conference Finals are set. The Eastern Conference has already gotten a game under their belt. Don't go anywhere. This is the scoreboard right after the break. Welcome back into the scoreboard here on Weagle 91.1 FM or WeagleFM.com if you're streaming. It's time to talk about the NBA playoffs and that game seven that happened on Tuesday night between the Denver Nuggets and the Los Angeles Clippers. Not sure a lot of people expected that. I don't think anyone expected that, I should say. I think last week we we uh, we didn't give the Nuggets a chance. No, we did not. So really that game was just unexpected, and it was exciting at the end when the Nuggets started to pull away, but... I mean, what was your takeaway from that game, babe? Well, like you had mentioned, everybody went into that game thinking, okay, like, LA's going to win this game, and, you know, Clippers, Lakers, Western Conference Finals, just like everybody predicted before the season started, even night one when they played each other, and they were saying, this is a preview. Um, My impression of the game was Denver has heart, and they play hard. Um, They were down 3-1 against the Jazz, battled back, won a crazy game seven against Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Down this series 3-1. They were even down in game five, I believe, by 16 points, 56-40 to 40 at one point. And that's when um, Marcus Morris turned around and was talking trash to, I think it was Paul Millsap. And that's kind of when the turnaround started. And they played from behind every game. And every game they came back. And I think that they proved that they're a better team than we gave them credit for. I remember last week you asked me the question, uh, is this their year? And, I, and you said, are they a year away? And I said, I don't know. I said, I think they need another key player. At this rate, they might not be a year away. This might be their year. Um, but my impression from the game was I was astonished by the way um, Los Angeles played, especially after the game. There was a report that the Clippers players were tired. I don't know if that was proven <laughs> or not, but like somebody said that they were legit. Like They were asking to get breathers after two or three minutes of playing time because of how, how tired they were. Um, but Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic are such a power duo, and they proved to be that in Game 7. Um It'll be interesting to see how they match up against the Lakers, obviously with the Jokic-Anthony Davis matchup, and then um, Los Angeles going to have to find somebody to guard Jamal Murray. But, I mean, 
this team is on a roll. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see the uh, Jokic and Davis matchup, which we'll get into in just a few minutes. But, I mean, I just look at that fourth quarter by the Clippers. Zero points from Leonard and George. I think they were 0 for 11 from the field, which is just, I mean, that's your two stars. And it's coming out of crunch time, and they, they lay an egg like that. That's pathetic. Yeah. And if I were a Clippers fan, I would be so furious because you just you expect Leonard especially. He he's shown he can be clutch. You expect him to come out of stretch and and really show out. I mean, maybe not win the game on his own, but at least give his team a chance to win. Yeah. And of course Paul George, he's had such an up and down playoffs. He's had the terrible games, but he's also bounced back whenever people talk a lot of trash about him, and he scored 30-plus points. I think it's just one of those things where they should have been ready for prime time, and they weren't. And then, of course, you had Patrick Beverly. He's only scored 11. He had six assists and five rebounds. And honestly, he might have been their best player. I love watching those videos night. of him when he was hurt, and he was laughing at teams on the bubble, and people were tweeting him the other night. I just... I've got a lot of hate for Patrick Beverly recently, and I just I don't know why. Well, that brings up the the point of Dame Lillard and his Twitter trash yes. talk with CJ yes. McCollum. He 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 tagged Patrick Beverly in a tweet and invited him to his Cancun vacation, yes. which is going on soon. But I I completely understand because the Clippers sought a lot of trash and did not back it up. I mean, if, if you go into the conference finals and lose to the Lakers, that's one thing, but you didn't even make it there. Yeah. And that's why there's been a lot of talk about the Kawhi commercials, you know, the this is his city. Yeah. Freezing Cold takes retweets that. I don't know. I, I don't know what to expect from the Clippers moving forward because I, I think it, it was talked about that Doc Rivers wouldn't be coming back, but I believe he is now. I think he is now too. Who knows what the Clippers are going to do. I think it was Paul George that said this year was not championship or bust. Yeah, he said that they're here for, they're here for the long haul, which who knows, I mean – the Clippers are kind of there neck and neck with the Lakers trying to build this new this new face of the franchise and whatnot. But um, the good thing with Kawhi is on first take on ESPN the other day, Stephen, I don't know, Stephen A. Smith brought out a bunch of clips of Max Kellerman and what he'd said about Kawhi's the best player in the league, like all this and that, and um, just the fact that Kawhi just had not let the team down. I mean, he did underperform. He still had 14 points, six rebounds, six assists, and two steals and a block. So... He's still the man on this team. He still has Paul George, but, I mean, this was a chance for him to prove himself, for him to chance to prove that he is one of the best in the league and put a capping performance on this series and push his team to the finals. He didn't do that. Granted, he's still 29 years old, I believe, so he still has a good bit of his career ahead of him, and it's going to be a great career. Um, but for Game 7, I mean, this is astonishing. According to ESPN, guess what his plus-minus was? Mm, probably about minus 15. He was minus 21. Wow. So he was minus 21 when he was on the floor, and uh, Paul George was minus 20. (laughs) So your two-star players, that's not ideal trying to clinch a spot in the Western Conference Finals. Not at all. And there's another great game on Tuesday night that preceded the Game 7. The Heat and Celtics in the Eastern Finals Game 1. Bam Adebayo. That was a crazy block. What a play. I think they were talking about how Jason Tatum, it was like a 75% chance to make that shot. I don't know what kind of metrics they're using or what kind of stats they're using, but that's something that they said. He had a 75% chance to make it, and Bam Adebayo 
made it zero percent just yeah. like that. I mean, he's really. I think I've been reading about how when he's on when he's on the floor for the Heat, they're one of the best teams in the league. Oh, absolutely. And whenever he comes off, they're average. Yeah. So he's really stepped up his game in this game. He. He's played 43 minutes, 5 for 12 from the field, 8 for 11 from the free throw line, had 6 rebounds and 9 assists as a center, only had 3 turnovers. So, I mean, he really is out there doing a lot of work. I think Jimmy Butler came out and gave him credit and said, without him, we're not where we're at. Yeah. He should while he's one of the – while he was up for most improved player. Yeah. I mean, he didn't get it. In my, in my opinion, he should have got it. But granted, um, I like that – what you just said about how when he's on the floor, um, they can be and they are probably one of the best teams in the NBA. And without him, they're not. I mean, his plus minus is 12, and not a single starter for the Heat had a negative plus minus. So their starting lineup was providing, and they were providing a lot, especially Gordon Dragic, who quietly had 29 points and seven uh, seven rebounds and four assists. I mean, he was a he was a scoring machine for them, and he wasn't really talked a lot about because of that final block. And this is kind of Jimmy Butler's saga right now. So. Um, and, I mean, they, they did this without Duncan Robinson playing well. He played 17 minutes. It was two for seven from three. And usually they really rely on him to give them a spark, and he wasn't able to do that. So if they're playing like this without one of those key players that really, really is taking them to the next level, I like the Heat's chances in this series. Now, on the other side, Boston, I think something talked about a lot, was Jason Tatum and I guess really the decision to go to him in the last minute in regulation yeah. and in overtime. I didn't like it personally. I think Kimba should have gotten at least one of the shots. He didn't play insanely well Tuesday night, but it's still cardiac Kimba. Yeah, and I know I'm stuck on the plus minus today, but just real quick, forget about Jason Tatum. Tice was plus 12. Listen to his stats. He played 35 minutes, okay? So he played a bunch of the game. He had four points, okay. Only had four rebounds. And had six personal fouls, and he was still plus 12. So I don't understand that. But uh, back to Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum did have 30 points. He had a double-double with 14 rebounds. He had five assists as well with two blocks and three steals. So he had a great all-around game. Had three turnovers, but it really seemed like, and I was telling you this when we were watching the game, he seems like a great foundational player, but it seems like late in that game the other night, especially late in the fourth quarter, and like you mentioned in overtime, he couldn't produce the big shots, with one of them obviously being the dunk, which granted, Bam Adebayo is four or five inches taller than he is, and that was just a heck of a defensive play, but still, he had plenty of open shots that could have pushed them and gave him a lead or put him in a better situation late in the game, and he didn't make those. Um, so I think if he's trying to be the big-time player that he's trying to be, then then he's got to step up and start making some of these shots. What about Marcus Smart? Looking like Ray Allen out there, 6 for 13 yeah. from 3. Yeah. I mean, he really stepped up his game, and – he was minus three, um, so he, he his defensive game might have been a little off flat on uh, Tuesday night. But if you set it up on the offensive end like that, it doesn't really Makes matter. Up for it, yeah. So I really think Marcus Smart is going to be kind of that key player down the line. Do you, do you agree with that? I agree with that as well as you mentioned Cardiac Kimba. I mean, he had 19 points. He had a great game um, with six assists. So those two point guards, they're going to have to run through both of them. And I mean, Marcus Smart. Obviously, has been a spark plug here lately in the bubble for them, and he's going to be somebody that they're going to have to go through and somebody they're going to have to rely on to push them over the edge for some of these games because the Heat aren't playing. The Heat are for real. Um, honestly, I was, I I think the Heat are going to win this series still. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how many games it'll be. It might be like a six- or seven-game series. Um, but my pick doesn't change. I still think the Heat win this series. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure. I don't remember who I picked originally, but – 
the Heat look great right now. And you never know. Things could change. If Jason Tatum goes out and scores 40 points and Kemba scores 30 with him, the, the Celtics probably win that game. And that could turn the series all around. But I'm still going with the Heat. And then the Western Conference. The Lakers and the Nuggets. Last time, we didn't give the Nuggets much of a chance. I'm going to give them a chance this time. But I'm still not going to pick them. Yeah, I agree. I They have a better chance than what I originally would have thought, especially after the way they played uh, Tuesday night against the Clippers. Now, did they win that series? Probably not. Um, but still, point being, Los Angeles has had some time off. They've rested since they played the Rockets. Um, and this is going to be a series where they're – I think Frank Vogel mentioned something about where Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee, their roles are going to be definitely, definitely increased because – they didn't play a whole lot against the Rockets' small lineup. I think that could give the Nuggets an advantage because it what it depends. If the Lakers needed that rest, that'd be nice, but they might also not be in the same groove they were in in the rounds prior and in right. the qualifying round. So we'll see how that affects and it. And we saw that in the first two rounds that they've played. They Absolutely. lost game one against Portland, then they lost game one against the Rockets. So we see that time off can be good and bad. Good physically, mentally, it's probably bad getting out of that groove like you mentioned and having to readjust to a big man lineup that they're going to have to play with will be big, and we'll see if the momentum carries over for Denver. We'll see if um, not getting as much time off continues to continues to benefit them. Um, like I said, my biggest thing with this series is going to be watching Jokic and Davis battle it out down low. That will definitely be the highlight for me watching that. And then also I'm interested to see who Los Angeles puts on Jamal Murray uh, to guard him, whether it's Rajon Rondo or Danny Green. Um, they're going to have their hands I think we'll, I think we'll see some LeBron matches with him. It might be. Yeah, LeBron will just have to be on his toes as well because Jamal Murray's four or five inches shorter than him and a lot a lot faster so um I, I think it's one of the i think it's more in crunch time i could see it yeah i agree uh but i think this one as well i think this not easy pick but i think it's kind of clear that we are both trending towards the purple and gold uh probably about i i'd say a five game series i'll give them seven i'm gonna give really seven wow because i the We've doubted them too much. You know what? You're right. So These I'll give them seven. I'll give them six. Okay. Six games. Because if they go down 3-1, I'll probably just pick the Nuggets from there, honestly. Because <laughs> they've defeated two 3-1 deficits so far. <laughs> Might as well. They'd be the first team ever to do that, I think. I think they're the first team to do it they're, twice yeah, in a row. I know. <laughs> so, so if they did it three times in a row, that might be an unbreakable record. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk about the NFL Week 1 and what to expect coming up in Week 2. You're listening to the scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM. And we're back on the school board, 91.1 FM, WEGL, Weagle, Auburn, student-run radio station, Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman live on the scoreboard. Thursday, September the 17th, we are getting into the second half of the program today. We're going to start out with a recap of the NFL, and then in the last segment of the hour, we will get into a prediction uh, for week two as well as Thursday night football tonight. So, Jacob, going back to week one, the NFL is back, a sense of normalcy. We've said it over and over again, has came back into our lives. Headlined. By the Thursday night football game last week, Chiefs and Texans, who I think we both picked. Chiefs ended up winning that one easily at home for the first game of the season, 34-20. to uh, Deshaun Watson for Houston did play well, however, with 253 yards and a passing touchdown. I think the highlight of this game was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He had 25 carries for 138 yards and a rushing touchdown, and I think that was him beginning to prove how he belongs in the NFL. Yeah, Edwards-Hilaire was high on all kinds of ESPN NFL fantasy rankings, and I didn't buy it. I thought, okay, he's a little bit overhyped. I think he's perfect for this offense, but I don't know if he's going to immediately come out of his rookie season and ball out like these rankings are predicting him to. 
But sure enough, he came out 138 yards rushing, and he didn't catch as many passes as I, as I thought he would. But I mean, 25 carries—that's insane for the Chiefs for one running back to have. So this Chiefs offense is about to be so dynamic because they have this option as well as the passing game that we know is so electric and so explosive. So the Chiefs are kind of scary this year because when you just add another dynamic like that, how do you expect to stop them? And, yeah. the, and the Texans showed us it's difficult to do. I mean, I thought the Texans played pretty well, but they couldn't hold, they couldn't stay in there the whole game. Yeah, and I, you mentioned the, the passing game, the dynamic offense. Patrick Mahomes, reigning Super Bowl champion, um, obviously one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I think today's his 25th birthday, actually, so happy birthday, Mahomes. Uh, he threw for 211 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, had QBR of 90.4. Um, so him picking up right where he left off, looking nice and poised for another uh, MVP season. Um, like we said, this team, ha- not really a big drop-off so far from last year. We see they're picking up right where they left off and really adding Clyde Edwards-Alaire to that mix um, you know, really helps their case. The thing I was kind of intrigued by was Tyreek Hill. Uh, only had 46 yards and only five receptions. He did have a touchdown, however, in week one. Um, with the longest run of 15 yards, which was kind of uh, out of the ordinary for him. Sammy Watkins having the most receiving yards with 82 and a touchdown. Um, so don't expect them to still be knocking the rust off. They definitely have no rust, obviously. So um, we'll see where they go from here. So that was definitely the highlight of last week was kicking off the season with that game. Other games around the league, I guess we can go ahead and talk about my team, the Packers. You're I excited hope- to do this. Huh? You're excited to do this. Well, I am because if anybody remembers from the show last week, and I know you do, I picked them to finish last in the NFC North. I had absolutely no faith in them. I hope this isn't just a glitch and I end up being right. I hope I'm completely wrong. But they went on the road against the Vikings, so I picked to finish first. 43-34. They kind of gave up some late scores there, so it should have been a bigger uh, win. But regardless, Aaron Rodgers is pissed off, and he's proving why. He threw 364 yards. For four touchdowns, 32 of 44. I mean, you're not wrong. Aaron Rodgers came out with a vengeance. He's ready to really bounce back from the last few seasons. And, I mean, I shouldn't say the last few seasons, but it's been up and down. He's had injuries. He's dealt with all kinds of things. So, I really, really look at this Green Bay team, and I think I picked them third in the division maybe. Yeah. We weren't high on them. I'm changing my mind. Even though it's just one game, these Vikings aren't bad. Yeah. And the way the Packers handled them, it, it gives me confidence in them to really move forward with this season and and potentially win the division and, and who knows, maybe make a run in the playoffs. It's a little early to talk about that. But Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers doesn't care. He He's ready to come out and win some freaking games. I will say there's there's three things that Green Bay is going to have to do to make a long run in the playoffs. One is pick up the running game. They had 158 rushing yards, which isn't bad, but they did rush by committee. So Aaron Jones, he did have one rushing touchdown. I would like to see a little bit more um, play calling specifically for him or even Jamal Williams, who had a great game as well with 21 yards. Um, But I do want to see a little bit more of that kind of play calling. Two, stay healthy. Without Rodgers and without especially Devontae Adams, who went on a tear as well, 156 yards on 14 catches and two TDs. They're going to need him, Valdez Scantling, Lazard. They're going to need all those guys to stay healthy as well. So keep keep the health up on the offensive side especially. And third is defense. They're going to have to step it up a little bit, especially on the defensive front. Uh, Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith, they're definitely going to be the two anchors on that front line. Jair Alexander, a young player in the secondary who played very well, had four solo tackles and five total as well as Kevin King. And Christian Kirksey had a great game as well with 12 total tackles. 
the defense, they're going to have to make sure they step it up because there's going to be a lot of offense that are a lot better than Minnesota. Um, so if the Green Bay defense can pick it up, if the team can stay healthy and they call a little bit more running plays to keep the, the offense dynamic enough, I think they can make a long, a long run. But I'm glad I was wrong last week. Yeah, I I really trust Aaron Rodgers. I At first I wasn't, but if he stays healthy, I trust him a lot. Yeah, I do as well. Let's see what other games we have on the docket. Oh, here's a here – you go. Yeah, I know you have one you want to talk about. Get to that one. Well – the Raiders and the Panthers. Yeah, I was more impressed with the Panthers than I. They I, played a lot better than we thought. I I agree. The defense has a lot of work to do. The offense is here and there. I think the first half was really, really not that great. I mean, obviously, you see, it was only seventeen points, which only fifteen points in the second half. But in the first half, I don't think Christian McCaffrey was being used the way he should have been. I think Joe Brady made his adjustments at halftime and figured things out, but still hasn't been used to his full potential. I mean. But the defense is the issue. Teddy Bridgewater was okay. 22 for 34, 207 yards, and a touchdown. The Panthers can live Very with that. Very decent game. They Very can live with game. that. But it's the defense that's going to cost them games like it did in this game. Now, other than that, I'd like to talk about the fourth and inches play at the end of the game. That Yes. You know who would have gotten that? Maybe Cam Newton. Cam Newton probably would have converted that. Yeah. But the Panthers are stuck to fullback dives in that position. And... Giving it to McCaffrey, um, I guess I guess giving it to him would be okay up the middle on a halfback dive, but when I think of those fourth and inches, I think back to last year in week two against Tampa Bay, fourth and goal from the one or two, and they run to the outside. I don't know. I, I trust Joe Brady. I think he's going to be a great offensive coordinator. It's early in his career, so I'm not going to get too concerned over that or too worked up about it. But that fourth and inches play did not make me happy. Yeah, they also went scoreless in the third quarter, so that kind of scratches your head a little bit. But I would, I would just be patient with Brady. You know, he's just coming from the college level off of a great year with LSU. Um, I think that offense does come with time. Um, I think I picked the Raiders to win this game, and I think I was right. Um, but I also want to ask you a quick question before we get to other games. Were you happy with? I know a lot of Auburn fans want to hear Derek Brown's game with three tackles, one of them being solo and one of them being a tackle for a loss. Yeah, he didn't put up a lot of stats, but he's a defensive tackle in the NFL. You're not going to do that long unless you're Aaron Donald, who some might consider a defensive end. But, yes, there. if you look at the film, I, I think I saw several videos of him knocking a guard on his butt or yeah, knocking him really backwards. Well. So I'm happy with what he did. It might shut up some of the people that doubted him in pre-draft. Yeah. Well, another game we could talk to, America's team, the Cowboys, traveling to the Rams. Brand new Rams Stadium, SoFi Stadium in California, over $5 billion. They definitely made that a point in the broadcast. <laughs> um, the Rams come out victorious 20-17 to in what was a great competitive game. Uh, we watched it here at our house, all the roommates together. Um, what is your take on this game? Well, I'll go ahead and ask you, was it an offensive pass interference? No. I agree. I think it was... Maybe by textbook definition, it was. But I think when you look at the play live, you see they're just hand fighting. That's yeah. what it looks like to me. And that's why it shouldn't have been called, but nevertheless it was. And, you know, you hate when games end like that when they could have been a much more exciting finish. You know, we could have gotten overtime, which would have been awesome to cap off a great Sunday. But it is what it is. I think the the Cowboys will be all right, and I think the Rams are a pretty solid team. It's not that like the Rams are a terrible team and didn't deserve to be in that game. No, they're a good team. So 
it's just it's one of those calls that didn't go the Cowboys' way. No, I agree. Um, to the pass interference point, I don't think it was. I think you hit the nail right on the head. By textbook, probably was. Um, but in the spirit of competition of football, that late in the game, if you go back, especially if you're the referee and you want to review that play, you look and you see, okay, <clears throat> Jalen Ramsey's battling with him just as much as he is with him. Their hands are fighting. There, there's not. It's I think by rule, or what we think as pass interference would be a complete push and stretch of the arm. I think he stretches his arm yeah, while he's hand fighting, but I don't think it's an attempt to push Ramsey away. If that makes sense, you're correct. So I think that's why a lot of people, especially on social media, saw it as not being one. But in the heat of the moment, the referee's eyes probably saw that and thought, "Hey, this is a pass interference flag." But regardless, it was a great game. I think Dallas has a lot to build off of because I know they have very high expectations this year. Dak played well, so did Zeke. Had nearly 100 yards rushing. Um, I have them beating Atlanta this week. We'll get to that, and I think they're going to be just fine. Let's see. We can talk about. Let's see. Let's talk about Cameron Newton and yes, his Cameron performance. His new home against the Dolphins. I was impressed. I don't think they've opened up the playbook quite for him, and I think that will come down the road. It makes yeah. sense. He didn't get a full off season to work with his teammates and work with the playbook. So down the road, it will open up for him, and we're going to see the full comeback of Cam Newton this week was just a preview because we saw that his legs still work and when he's healthy, he's exciting to watch. Yeah, I mean, he didn't have any passing touchdowns, but he still threw 155 yards, which, especially with that bum shoulder, having not played in a while, that's probably a solid foundation to build off of for the rest of the season. Now his legs, 75 rushing yards, which was a team high, as well as the two touchdowns. Um, I think the biggest thing for him was getting his confidence back. And I think the biggest thing this game also is Fitzpatrick throwing three interceptions and New England's defense picking up right where left off, being one of, if not the best in the NFL last year. Um, but I agree. I think the playbook isn't necessarily opened up yet, but once it is opened up, that's going to be a crazy offense to watch. All right. The Eagles blew a 17-0 lead to the Washington football team. They did. You know, the Eagles don't have much of an offensive line right now. The, the football team got eight sacks. So I'm really not too concerned about the Eagles as long as their offensive line can get healthy. I'm not really sure what's the thing of Washington right now because this could be something they build off of or it could just be a fluke because there's no offensive line. Yeah. I mean, Carson Wentz got sacked eight times. And, I mean... The Eagles have to do whatever they can to keep him healthy. That yes, is all that matters. That's major for them. I mean, they did just draft Jalen Hurts, but obviously you still want Carson Wentz in there. He's experienced. He's been there a while. Um, but also, shout-out to Peyton Barber, who had two rushing touchdowns for Washington football team the other day. So... Um, I mean, Auburn in the NFL this weekend was very solid. They were, and I can't tell if Washington was just able to pull it together with Ron Rivera in the second half, who he's a warrior. Shout out to Ron Rivera. Um, or if the Eagles, like you said, just blew that lead with eight sacks, but I'm still not going to buy into any kind of Washington hype because there is none, obviously, but I don't expect a lot out of them still this season, especially after that comeback. I still don't expect a whole lot out of them, though. No. More Auburn in the NFL. Saints-Bucks. I guess that's not the focus of this game. But Carlton Davis did hold Michael Thomas to, I think it was one catch. Or it, it was like, it wasn't all. Michael Thomas didn't do much. No. And he is injured, so that could play a factor in it. But Tom Brady in his opening game with the Buccaneers, kind of a flop. Intercepted twice. Intercepted twice. One was a pick six. He is one of, or he, the last three players throw three pick sixes in a row in a game. 
not in a game, but three pick sixes in three straight games. Tom Brady, Blaine Gabbert, and I think it was Matt Shaw. Yeah. So great company there. But I think the Saints look solid. I think Drew Brees is – you can see the fall off is starting to happen, but I think he's still at a high enough level to where the Saints are going to be a force to be reckoned with. And I think they're in win-now mode. So look out for the Saints this year. Yeah, and I wasn't – even though they did score 34, I wasn't too entirely impressed with the Saints' offense. Um, besides through the air, obviously. Now, if they had Michael Thomas, it would have been different. Drew Brees didn't only have 160 throwing yards. But the rush game didn't have a lot to brag about there as well. Um, I think, like you said, that's kind of the start of the fall off of Drew. I think this might be his last year, if not next year, definitely. Um, but it still was enough to give Tampa Bay their first loss. And I don't think anybody really expected Tampa Bay to win this game. But regardless, the Saints come out victorious and they start 1-0. Well, on the other side of the break, we will get to predictions for week two in the NFL here on the scoreboard. Stick around with us after this break. Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Final segment here on the scoreboard as we get into week two of the NFL and Thursday night football tonight. Browns and Bengals will get the week started off, but just excited that we are in the midst of football. So I can't be happier, honestly. Me neither. Browns, Bengals. Will Baker Mayfield and the Browns bounce back? And I guess the Bengals are kind of in the same position after Randy Bullock shanked that I'm still mad about that game. Don't even get me started. They they had time to run one more play. Joe Burrow could have had his rookie moment. Yeah. But here we are. Browns or Bengals, who gets it done? I've been going back and forth. I've been really tempted to pick Cleveland just because I know the foundation they have with Baker and that receiving core. But I'm going Cincinnati. I don't know why. I just I want to pick Cleveland. Something in the back of my mind is like pick Cincinnati. So I am. I'm I just, the same way. I, I just think that Joe Burrow on the road, the comeback game. I think now that he's got a game under his belt, I think he feels a lot more confident. Yeah, I agree because I, I wanted to pick the Browns just because I felt like they're kind of in a better position to bounce back because they've had such an awful game that they know what to improve. Whereas the Bengals felt like you know they they, they did all right. Game. They did, but. I'm still going to pick the Bengals because I feel like they're almost evenly matched. But I, I think Joe Burrow is going to really lead them to a victory in his first career. Well, win. and you can also – what makes it so tough is anybody's going to get blown up by the Ravens like that this True. year. So that makes it hard to not pick Cleveland. But if you know the dumpster fire that they were on offense, especially the way Baker Mayfield played, it's going to lead you to pick Cincinnati. So I think we, we both have Cincinnati. Yeah. Going to Sunday – We'll start with my Panthers against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers for the first time. Divisional matchup. I don't see it happening. Buccaneers. I was going to pick Buccaneers because it's at home for them. I think Tom's going to bounce back. I I was tempted to pick Carolina just because divisional round, upset on the road, but I will pick Tampa Bay. Tom Brady's first home game. They get that one done. And your Packers are hosting the Lions. Huge game. Huge game because the Lions – Probably should have won last week. They should be one and zero. They should be. If DeAndre Swift, <clears throat> Georgia alum, <clears throat> didn't drop that ball in the end zone, um, I think that Green Bay gets it done at home. Obviously, first first home game of the year. They're six point favorite. Like you said, the Lions are a lot better this year. They have a three headed running back uh, core: uh, Adrian Peterson, Carryon Johnson, and DeAndre Swift. And Matthew Stafford had a good game last week as well. This will be a lot closer than people think. But I think Green Bay gets it done at the end with Devontae Adams being a key piece in one of the final drives. Yeah, I mean, I really think the Lions are, like you said, they're better than people think this year. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle the running back situation. Carryon didn't get 
very much playing time last week. He got 14 rushing yards, and that was it. And AP seems like he's 25 again. So I about to say, he's playing well. I, I really see the uh, the Lions being solid this year. I don't see them being good enough to beat the Packers on Sunday, though. Giants and Bears, kind of an eh matchup. But do you think Danny Dimes and Darius Slayton connection will – Get it done this weekend? Well, I think this is a more intriguing matchup than people think because I think the Giants are better than what they showed against the Steelers. They have young talent in Saquon, Danny Dimes, Darius Slate on the offensive side. The defense is their problem. I think the Bears defend home turf, but I think it's a close matchup. I don't think the Giants give it away to them. I think this is a close game on CBS at 12 o'clock. Bears win by a possession. I'm picking the Giants because I think this is going to be Saquon's bounce-back game after just not performing well against the Steelers. Uh, he he caught the ball well, but really wasn't able to get the running game going. So I think that he's going to have a good game just to bounce back and beat the Bears. Falcons-Cowboys, we talked about Cowboys bouncing back. You you gave away your pick. You think the Cowboys are going to win yeah, this game. Cowboys win. And I have to agree. I don't know. The Falcons just look so bad against the Seahawks. And that might have been the Seahawks making them look bad. But yeah. I, but that I, wasn't a blowout game either. It wasn't. It was a 13-point game. Yeah. So, I just think the Cowboys are good enough to beat the Falcons, even if they are better than we think they are, better than they seem against the Seahawks. I think the Cowboys are good enough to beat them. And their offense is better than what they showed, I think, the Cowboys. I think they couldn't close out a few possessions last week against the Rams. So, I think the Cowboys win this one actually a little bit larger than what the Lions gave them. I think it's a two- or three-score game. Surprise, surprise, the Jaguars won their first game. Yeah, Even, you were doubting him too. You're saying that they were tanking for Trevor. I, I gave I gave I thought there was a chance they could go 0 16. Really? That's not gonna happen. They might go one and fifteen though. It's gonna start that's this still, week. Yeah, that's it's gonna start this week going against the Titans because Derrick Henry's gonna run all over them. And I think that Titans defense is too good for Gardner Minshew. I agree. I think the Jaguars did get a hiccup win in week one. I think the Colts really had no idea where they were playing with Phillip Rivers. Um yeah, give me Tennessee. Uh, I think Derrick Henry continues his run dominance from last week. Ryan Tannehill had a, one of those great final drives against Denver the other night. Give me Tennessee at home. The line is upset about 8.5, which is right around there, probably about a 10-point 10 10 point victory. Speaking of Phillip Rivers, they're hosting the Vikings this weekend. And they lost Marlon Mack to an Achilles injury. What, are the Vikings going to bounce back from Aaron Rodgers decimating them? Or are the Colts going to bounce back from the worst team in the NFL beating them? This game seems like a snooze fest. I think that the Vikings win this game on the road. I think Dalvin Cook, he only ran for 50 yards last week. I think he kicks it up a little bit this week. He did have two touchdowns, however. Adam Thielen, I mean, your fantasy team in our league had a great week last week with him. He had 110 yards with two touchdowns. Now, granted, Phillip Rivers threw for 363 yards with one touchdown, but I think the Vikings, they they know what they're capable of. Their offense looks great. I think they win this game on the road in Indianapolis. It's Kirk Cousins' time. I agree. Vikings by a score. Bills and Dolphins. Is is it Josh Allen time? I think so. I think that the Dolphins, especially with Fitzpatrick back there, like we said, he had three interceptions. Now that is credit to New England's defense being great last week, but I don't think Fitzpatrick is the fit for this team. I guess a better question is: Is it two a time? It might be two a time. Not not this week, but I think they realize this week and next week. It's like they do want to conserve his health, but it's also. We drafted this dude really high for a reason. So I think the Bills win this one on the road, go 2-0, and and get a great divisional win. I agree. I'm with the Bills, and I think they're going to take the division from the Patriots for the first time in forever this year. And 
I don't know. I just, I, I just really like Josh Allen. I think he's starting to improve his quarterback. I remember I doubted him a lot in the past two years, but yeah. he's shown me that he's and, a solid quarterback. And our picks, don't, I, th- I don't think either of our picks changed. I think last week we both said before NFL started that the Bills still win this division, and even though the Patriots looked solid last week, I still think the Bills win it. All right, let's make this one quick. 49ers, Jets. 49ers. 49ers. Rams, Eagles. Rams. Um, you know, they, they, they look good against Dallas. Now they can be better. They could also be a lot worse, but the Eagles blowing that lead to the Washington football team, I mean, it's hard to pick for them. You're especially right. Especially at home. So Without the offensive line, Aaron Donald is about to wreak havoc yes, on Carson is. Wentz. Yes. So I'm picking the Rams. And I don't know. I mean, the Eagles are going to be in a tough hole if they're 0-2. They are. And that's a tough division this year because I think you know Dallas is going to be really good. If Washington ends up being a decent team, and then, like you said, if the Giants win this week and they end up being a decent team, then they're really going to be in a bad hole to start the season out. Broncos Steelers, two teams that played on Monday Night Football this past weekend. The two teams, or I, I should say, the Broncos lost and the Steelers won. So, do we think Drew Locke's going to bounce back? Because I, I thought the Broncos played okay. Yeah, the Broncos actually did play well. It's just that Tennessee's defense is so good. Uh, I think they kind of slowed down Drew Locke. And I think Jerry Judy is mad that he dropped like I think it was like five passes, maybe somewhere around there. Several. Yeah, he dropped a lot of big passes, and I think he makes a comeback this week. Um, and Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay—that's a great duo in the backfield for them as well. But I'm going to pick Pittsburgh because it's at Pittsburgh. You know, Big Ben is back. They didn't look too bad last week either. Give me Pitt at home. Yeah, the the, the concerning thing to me is no Von Miller for the Broncos, and we we've known about that for the last few weeks. I do I just do not buy the Steelers. I'm picking the Broncos because I think Drew Locke is gonna start opening things up, and he's gonna be able to against a, a weaker defense than what the Tennessee Titans showed him. Washington football team and Arizona Cardinals. The they, Cardinals have a few injuries on the offensive line, yeah. but I don't think it's going to be enough for Washington to get a victory. No, I agree. I, I think the Cardinals win. I, honestly, like I picked the 49ers to beat the Cardinals last week. Uh, that was a great victory yeah. by them. The young talent of Kyler Murray showed. Um, DeAndre Hopkins had a heck of a game. I think the Cardinals win this one at home as well. Washington goes 1-1 one one, just for the sole reason that they are way more talented. Patrick Mahomes versus Terod Taylor. I mean, I think it's safe to assume where this is going to go. I think this is a Kansas City win, but I think it's close. I think it's going to take a game-winning drive, honestly, because just because it's in L.A., I think the Chargers are a little bit better than what we're giving them credit for now. They didn't win by a whole lot against uh, uh, the Bengals, but I still think that for some reason at home, this is going to be a tough game for the Chiefs. Yeah, I, I think the Chargers can cover the 8.5 point spread. Uh, 100%. But I'm still going to give the victory to the Chiefs. Yeah, um, it, it, it might. I'm picking the Chargers to cover, but it wouldn't surprise me if the Chiefs came out and won by almost 20. Yeah. Ravens-Texans, this is the afternoon CBS game of the week. I'm picking Texans. I really am. I want to pick. I want to pick Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, but I think at home, bounce back after a loss to the reigning Super Bowl champions, I think the Texans know what they're working with, and I think Deshaun Watson knows as well. I just I don't know I see the I see the Ravens slipping up they going into the uh, Texas game I think they're kind of underestimating them a little bit I think the Texans win by a score Ravens are my Super Bowl team after Week One I'm picking them I'm sticking with them Patriots Seahawks Cam Newton has to travel to CenturyLink Field with no fans give with that being said but on the road at the Seahawks I think the Seahawks win this one it's going to be a lower scoring game. Patriots defense looks good. Seahawks defense looks better than what we thought it was going to look like. But I think it's going to end up being Russell Wilson with D. 
DK Metcalf at the end of the day. I think that they're going to end up winning this game. But I will not be surprised if, like we were talking about in the program earlier, about the Patriots opening up their playbook a little bit more. I think we'll see some of that, but I don't think it's enough for them to win on the road. Give me the Seahawks by, like, a score or two. Yeah, I think the Seahawks are definitely going to cover. They're only three-and-a-half-point favorites. So I'm going to pick them to win and cover. Russell Wilson's just too much. Monday Night Football, this this could be a snooze fest. Saints-Raiders. Saints. In, in the new Allegiant Stadium. The new Death Star Stadium. Yeah, I, I'm picking the Saints as well. I Drew Brees is too much for this Raiders defense and Derek Carr. Yeah, I think the Saints win this one. I think I think the Raiders cover, though. It's going to be a very low-scoring game. Not an offensive shootout, but I think just because I don't think New Orleans is going to – or they obviously won't probably have uh, Michael Thomas – they won't have as much offensive firepower. They're going to look to run the ball, which I think uh, Las Vegas is going to know. Give me the Saints, but give me it just just a little bit. A little bit of a victory. Three-point vic. Well, that's our NFL predictions for week number two. Hopefully the NFL stays strong and keeps going because it's really filled the, the void in everyone's lives that they've missed out on over the last several months. So I think a big thing, too, is people are also looking at, especially the NFL, looking at the NBA and the MLB, NBA's in a bubble. They haven't got any cases, so they know what it takes to be in a bubble, but then they're looking at the MLB, who's not in the bubble for now, and they're seeing how some of their games are getting canceled, so I think some of the NFL players are going to take it a little more seriously and uh, really social distance and wear a mask and make sure that they can continue their season without having to delay any games. And, of course, MLB's going in the bubble for the playoffs. Which, I mean, that'll be sick. Next week is when we're really going to ramp up the Major League Baseball talk. So. Yeah. That's going to do it for today on the scoreboard. Thank you for joining Bay Marks and I, myself, Jacob Hillman. Tune in next Thursday at 4 o'clock for the scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM or WeagleFM.com. This has been the scoreboard on 91.1 FM WEGL with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Join us every Thursday at 4 as Jacob and Bay cover all the happenings in sports. You can keep up with all the great shows on Weagle by streaming us on our website at WEGLFM.com and following us on Twitter and Instagram at WEGL underscore AU.